Well, how many of you have ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? <laughs> you had followed all the steps. You kept all the rules. Um, you'd taken every precaution. You checked all the boxes. You were minding your own business. And by no fault of your own, something went wrong and you were left suffering the consequences. Now here's the second question. How many of you have ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time because of your own choices? The wrong place at the wrong time because of your own laziness, your own compromises, your own failures, your own complacency, your own self-satisfaction, your own arrogance, your own pride, and you were left suffering the consequences. More than likely, chances are that the latter is much more common than the former. More times than not, we find ourselves in very difficult circumstances, suffering the consequences or particular consequences because we haven't been or we, or we aren't where we should be, with whom we should be, thinking the way we should be, speaking the way we should be, and doing what we should be. In other words, we're in the wrong place, more times than not, in the wrong place at the wrong time due to our own sin. But fortunately for us, while our Heavenly Father may not prevent us from sinning, and while He um, may not spare us from the consequences that we suffer, He does intervene and rescue us, just as He does or did Jacob in Genesis 35. Through His Word, God graciously brings us to a place of spiritual renewal by calling us to repentance and reminding us of His promises. Our outline is in the normal place. We're going to see four things tonight. We're going to see God's gracious redirection Jacob's response of repentance, God's gracious reminder, and then Jacob's response of worship. Children, you're going to find your words in the same place, or normal place as well, and this is our custom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue. Father, I ask for your spirit to make the reading and the preaching of your word an effectual means of enlightening and convincing and humbling us of driving us out of ourselves and drawing us to Christ, of conforming us to the image of Christ and subduing us to His will, of strengthening us against temptations and corruptions, of building us up in grace and establishing our hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. As always, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and attend to me as I do this work to which you've called me. And I ask this for Christ's sake and for the sake of his church. Amen. Well, Jacob was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Back in chapter 28, prior to his journey to Padan Aram, he had promised the Lord that he would return. And not simply to Canaan. He wasn't going to just 
return to Canaan. He was going to return to Bethel. But in chapter 33, we saw that he stopped outside of the promised land in Succoth. And then when he actually did enter Canaan, he stopped a day short and remained in Shechem. Yes, we, we saw that he did erect an altar there. He did worship there. He acknowledged the Lord his God, and he acknowledged that the Lord his God had, had brought him back safely and peacefully to Canaan. But his faith and his commitment, on the one hand, was, was mixed with disobedience on the other. Listen to the words of Derek Kidner that Aaron shared with you a couple of weeks ago. Shechem offered Jacob the attractions of compromise. His summons was to Bethel, but Shechem stood attractively at the crossroads of trade. He was called to be a stranger and a pilgrim, but while buying his own plot of land there, he could argue that it was within his promised borders. It was disobedience nonetheless. And his pious act of rearing an altar and claiming his new name of Israel could not disguise that fact. And of course, last week in chapter 34, we saw the cost of that disobedience. But here in chapter 35, we see the Lord intervene. And He intervened because circumstances alone were not enough to awaken Jacob from his spiritual slumber and bring about the renewal that was necessary within him. It was the Lord who would have to lay hold of him. It was the Lord that would have to correct him. It was the Lord who would have to graciously redirect him. Look at verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Very simply, the Lord spoke. And that simple but profound fact teaches us, in the words of Calvin, where we should look for our greatest consolations in our afflictions. He goes on to say, it is the principal business of our life to depend upon the Word of God. For seeing that we are slow and dull, bare experience is by no means enough to attest God's favor for us unless faith coming from the Word is added. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God whether by its reading or its preaching or even by its sharing from a friend or by a friend is both necessary and sufficient to awaken anyone, anyone from their spiritual slumber. And we should never forget that. But here God spoke directly to Jacob. And what he said wasn't a suggestion, it wasn't even a request, it was actually a command. All four of these words, arise, go up, dwell, and make, are all imperatives. These aren't suggestions, these are direct commands or instructions that the Lord expected Jacob to follow. The Lord wanted Jacob to fulfill the promise that he had made before leaving for Padan Aram. He wanted Jacob to take action. 
He wanted Jacob to, to exhibit his willingness to accept correction and redirection. And what's interesting is that this is the only time God actually instructs one of the patriarchs to build an altar. All of the other times that we've seen the building of an altar is actually a response to what God has done. Here, he directs Jacob to build. It's a command of the Lord. It's as if he was saying, look, I know you built an altar to me here at Shechem, but this is not where I appeared to you over 20 years ago. This is, this is not where I revealed myself to you. This is not where you professed your faith in me as the Lord God Almighty. This is not where you pr promised to return. I want you to go to that place. I want you to go up. I want you to go to Bethel or Bethel and dwell there and build an altar there. I want you to come back to this place you once were before the undercurrents of life, before the enticements, before the temptations, before the influences, before the associations of the world swept you away. I want you to come back here to Bethel. I want you to dwell with me there, and I want you to worship me there on my terms, not on yours. And he did. Look at verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us rise up and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to, God, to the God who answers me in the days of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So having been confronted or approached by God and having been confronted by His Word and having been commanded to go, Jacob responded as he should have. He took action. But it's important to remember that it wasn't Jacob's action that elicited God's response. It was God who initiated. It was God's Word that elicited Jacob's repentance. In other words, Jacob's spiritual renewal was initiated by God, and it began at the point of repentance. And notice, he not only knew that it was important for him to repent, it was also important for him to lead his family to repent as well. He had led them in the wrong direction. Right? He had led them to the wrong direction, which had resulted in devastating consequences that we saw last week. But now he would exercise his responsibility to lead them in the right direction. And as a result, they would be blessed. Apparently, while Jacob professed the Lord to be his God who had been faithful wherever he had gone, his family had not. And, or, if they, or if they had, they weren't professing him to be their only God. And it doesn't matter if the gods uh, were those that Rachel had stolen from her father, or if they were the gods from Shechem that had, um, had been taken during the plunder of the city, either way their allegiance was not to the Lord God Almighty. They had other gods before Him. They had 
they had allowed their idolatry to lead to lifestyles that let them, left them soiled and stained and unable to dwell in the presence of the Lord. So Jacob, Jacob told them to, to, to put them away, to turn aside from their idols, to purify and to cleanse themselves, to change their clothes, even to the point of getting rid of the jewelry that probably had inscriptions uh, regarding pagan gods or the Canaanite gods. And all of this would externalize, or, or I'm sorry, would symbolize, externally symbolize their internal repentance and cleansing. And we know that based upon similar actions that we'll, we see later in Exodus 19, um, prior to the Lord descending from Mount Sinai, and it's what we see codified later in, in the law of God. In the words of David in Psalm 24, Jacob was calling him to clean their hands and to purify their hearts and, and to not lift their souls to another. In New Testament language or Pauline language, he was telling them to put off their old selves and to put on the new. He was calling them to repent, to forsake their sin and their other gods and to turn to the only true God who both deserved and desired their allegiance. And he was not going to share that allegiance with another. And these external acts were not only symbolic of, of the internal change, but they were fruit of that change. And in verse 4, Moses said they did as Jacob instructed. As a matter of fact, he said they buried everything under the terebinth tree at Shechem. And we think, and we think back and, and we ask ourselves, could this be the terebinth tree where God appeared to Abram in Genesis 12? Maybe. We don't know. What's important is that they did it. They buried their idols there. And having done so, Moses says in verse 5 that they were immediately blessed because their trip was worry-free. The Lord had, so to speak, put the fear of God in everybody that was looking to, to get Jacob and his household. And he gave them safe passage to Bethel. And then we read this in verses 6 and 7. Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and they, there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his, from his brother. In obedience, Jacob builds the altar. But notice there's a name change. Notice the name change. The place would no longer be Bethel, the house of God, it would be El Bethel, or the God of the house of God. You see, it, Jacob had come to the point where he realized that it wasn't about where God was, it was about who God is. He realized it, it wasn't about the place, it was about the God of the place. It wasn't the sanctuary. It was about the God in the sanctuary. It wasn't about where God had revealed himself to Jacob. It was simply the fact that he had revealed himself to him. The location or the place was simply a circumstance which would serve as a means to remind Jacob that God had in fact revealed himself to him and had been with him 
wherever he went. But that's not all. That's not all he reminded him of. Look at verse 8. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under the oak below Bethel. She, so he called its name Elan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. Again, God in his grace, in the midst of Jacob's grief over his mother's, the death of his mother's servant, which we'll look at um, look at next week or talk more about next week. God again appears to him and blesses him. And the blessing he offered was a reminder. It was assurance. It was confirmation of who he had revealed himself to be as God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And it was also a reminder of who Jacob was, but was no longer. Richard Phillips puts it this way, Jacob had already received his new name in chapter 32 to reflect his prevailing through faith rather than the deceit denoted by his own name, old name. Yet he had since returned to his old ways, so God renewed the mark of his grace in Jacob's life. And in the words of Victor Hamilton, Jacob was reminded that he returned to Canaan not as Jacob, but as Israel. He was not only to bury the foreign gods, but he was to bury what had become, for all practical purposes, a foreign nature, a Jacob nature. And then, if, if that wasn't enough, God reminded him and assured Jacob that his promises remained. The same promises that he had made to Jacob, that he had made to Isaac, that he had made to his grandfather Abraham, all of the promises remained true. His offspring would become nations, and from those nations would become kings. And of course, we know on this side of the cross that a couple of those kings were David and Jesus. He, he was told that, that the land upon which he stood would be his and his offspring after him. And of course, Jacob responded. Look at verse four, 14. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. In a way, it's deja vu all over again. Because this is a pattern that we've seen. It's a pattern we saw in Genesis 17 and in Genesis 28. God, God appears. And then God reveals himself as the Lord God Almighty. There's a name change. There's a reminder of promises. And the encounter results in the only suitable response, which is worship. And we ask, why do we keep seeing this repeated? And the answer is, it was necessary. Because Jacob, like his grandfather and like all of us, are forgetful. 
we forget and we need to be reminded. In the words of another pastor, when you read Genesis in its entirety, you see what a master stroke God is doing very deliberately to repeat these stories. He's not just saying, here's the story again, but here's the story in a new episode, in a new part of Jacob's life, because he needs to learn the same lesson again. This tells us something very important. It tells us Jacob is back on track, and just as importantly, it reminds us God never left his track. God never got off track. So what do we take away? I want us to consider three things. And the first is this. By the grace of God, we are all called in a general, in a general sense to spiritual renewal each and every Lord's day. We're called back to this place. We're called back to this place to worship God on His terms. Having fought the undercurrent of life throughout the week and the enticements and temptations and influences and associations that have attempted all week to sweep us away and, and let's be honest, in some cases may have succeeded in sweeping us away, we gather here, together, at the Lord's initiation, so that we can be reminded that God desires to dwell with us. God desires, He, he deserves and desires for our allegiance, or our allegiance. We're here to be reminded of who He is as God Almighty. We're here to be reminded of our sin and our need for a Savior. We're here to be reminded of, of what is ours in Christ, the salvation that is ours in Him, and, and of our new identity in Him. We're reminded of the promises of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Him, of our forgiveness and our justification and our adoption and our sanctification and our glorification, just to name a few. And we respond in worship. We respond by offering sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, and we lift our souls to God because in Christ we have been given pure hands and pure hearts. We worship Him because He not only desires to dwell with us, but He has made us, He has made it possible for us to dwell with Him. It is the light of Christ that drives away the darkness of our hearts that Calvin calls idol factories. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all of our sin. It is His righteousness that clothes us. Brothers and sisters, do not neglect this gathering. Do not neglect this gathering together through which the, the Lord spiritually renews us week 
after week after week. Secondly, I believe it is possible that many of us need to be called in a specific sense to spiritual renewal. There's a strong possibility, again, that some in this room have actually been swept away through the course of life this week. And you may be in the wrong place at the wrong time, even now. So as one is, who has been given the responsibility to care for your souls, I would be remiss in light of this passage if I didn't call you in in the name of Christ, to come to Him and to His cross for spiritual renewal. So I call you in His name to repent. This isn't a call to simply feel bad or to regret particular choices that you've made. It's a call to change your mind. And it's a call to agree with God that you've sinned against Him in thought, word, and deed, as we prayed earlier. It's a call to grieve and to hate your sin and to turn from it and to put it to death. I call you in His name to to remove and bury the, the idols that are corrupting your faith and hindering your worship. God and God alone is deserving of your allegiance. And here's the good news. While there isn't an idol so small that it doesn't need to be removed, there's not an idol so big that it can't be removed. I call you in His name to come to the cross of Christ. Come to the cross for forgiveness. It's it's His blood and His blood alone that that will cleanse you and purify you. It's His righteousness alone that will clothe you. By His grace and the power of the Spirit, seek to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I call you in His name also to rest in the Lord for renewal. Rest in the Lord for renewal. Yes, there may be decisions you need to make. There may be commitments you need to make. There may be actions you need to take. But remember, it is the Lord alone who can and will renew you. You cannot do that on your own. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who can restore your communion with Him. It is the Lord alone who can refresh your soul. It is the Lord alone who can restore the joy of your salvation. Rest in Him. And the third takeaway is specifically for the kiddos. Children, I want you you to listen, okay? I know you already have been, but specifically, look up here for just a minute. Many of you have been baptized in this room. Many of you have come to the Lord's table while in this room. So when the Lord calls us back to this place each and every week, each and every Lord's day to worship, 
He's calling you back to a place that should remind you that you are His. And each week, when you come into this place, God Himself is renewing a covenant of which you have been made a part. And one of the benefits of, our, of the repeated nature and pattern of our liturgy is that it solidifies the truths of the gospel in your heart and mind. And we don't want you to forget what is true. We want there to be no doubt that the simple means of grace of the word that is read and preached and of the sacraments that are rightly administered and of the prayers of the people of God all together strengthen and nurture the faith that God has given you. And by the way, children, that's not just for you. It's, it's for our teenagers and really it's also for our adults. But children, I, want you, I, I just had you in mind this week, okay? So I want you to remember something. I want you to remember while this room has been and will continue to be important to you, and I've been thinking particularly about those who just in a couple years are going to be leaving, okay? But I want you to remember that it's not about this room. It's about who's in this room. I'm talking about the God that is in this room by His Spirit. It's not about the place. It's about the God of the place. It isn't about this sanctuary. It's about the God of the sanctuary. It isn't about where God has revealed Himself. It's the fact that He has revealed Himself to you. So as you grow and as you have opportunities to leave and to go and worship other places. I want you to remember that it's my hope that the sights and the sounds of the liturgy and the songs and the prayers and the sermons and the sacraments don't simply remind you of of this place, of this sanctuary, and your worship with us. Though, though there is a, a hope that it does, but that's, that's not the ultimate goal. More important, I hope it will remind you of the God who has graciously set His love upon you and has made you His. And He will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit and grace, would you enable us to receive the word with faith and love and lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. For your glory and for our good and for the sake of Christ and his church, I pray. Amen.